Welcome back to the Athletic Perspective Podcast. This is our first episode of 2020. We're back after a short hiatus following our initial five episodes and our December release to bring you some great interviews and discussions on new and exciting topics with athletes and experts from the sport community. Today, Steph and I are joined by Christine Drakich to talk about topics in coaching. Christina served as the head coach for the University of Toronto varsity women's volleyball team for over 30 years. Before she owned her skills as an elite coach, she was an athlete on Canada's national volleyball and beach volleyball teams and a 2001 inductee into the U of T Sports Hall of Fame. Named Ontario Volleyball Coach of the Year, 3M National High Performance Coach of the Year, as well as OUA Coach of the Year nine times, we are beyond excited to explore the world of effective coaching philosophy, team culture, and how to harness the lessons on the court to improve our daily lives. Whether you are a coach, an athlete, or holding down a cubicle, Christine drops knowledge that we can all use towards improving our day. In this episode, Christine mentions some research by Franson and colleagues regarding athlete leadership roles. If you're interested in learning more on this, check out our blog where we have a post summarizing some of the current research on this subject entitled, O Captain, O Captain. And on that note, let's get started. So, Christine, welcome to the show. Both Steph and I are beyond excited to have you on the podcast today. And I thought we might start by having you give the listener a bit of background information or brief history about yourself uh, in terms of sport and coaching and so forth. Sure. My name is Christine Drakich, and I'm the head coach of the University of Toronto women's volleyball team, and I've been doing that for over 30 years. I played volleyball and beach volleyball at the international level and represented Canada in both those sports. And I spent a great deal of time, I guess, volunteering at decision-making tables at local, provincial, national volleyball organizations, including international uh, international volleyball organizations. So I've got, uh, from volunteer to athlete to coach, um, a tremendous amount of experience. And I came by my passion and love for volleyball, honestly, as my parents were both actively involved in sport, and my mother was a national team volleyball athlete. My father was a football player, but uh, as he met my mother and learned how to play volleyball, he began coaching and volunteering administratively in uh, Ontario Volleyball and Volleyball Canada. And my brother is a um, Olympic beach volleyball athlete. And while educated as a chemical engineer, works now as a high-performance uh, director for beach volleyball for Volleyball Canada. It's a family of volleyball. Well, that makes sense with how you got involved. Is there anything more that you want to share regarding how that came about? Well, funny story about that. Although I was always very active, I think my mother would was petrified that I would never engage in sports because anything she put me in as a... As a young kid, I quit. I quit after the first day. Sometimes I didn't even make it through the first day. Whether it was figure skating, dancing, running, whatever, I quit everything. It wasn't really until maybe middle school, grade 7, grade 8, that I started to get involved in sport in school. And then uh, I wanted to do anything but volleyball. 
because my family was volleyball, so I didn't want to do it. And finally, in the middle of high school, my brother said, I think you're pretty good. You should go. And he took me to a club volleyball. So that's how I got involved in, in rep volleyball outside right, of right. outside of school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess it turns out I was, I was okay at it. I never thought I was really that good. Um, and then I, I tried out for provincial teams, and I, I made it, and tried out for junior national teams, and I happened to make it. So I happened to make all these teams, and I think that that you know, just made it, uh, launched my career in volleyball. And then I, I loved it and uh, started to get involved. And I actually grew up playing beach volleyball because that's where my parents um, it played in the summertime. But back then, beach volleyball wasn't a, an international sport. Well, it wasn't an Olympic sport. And okay. so I actually learned how to play volleyball on the beach, then made it to indoor volleyball, and then did a bit of both. And uh Anyways, I, I think it's just open for all sorts of opportunities. And every time an opportunity came, I went and tried out and I did things. And I was always small for the sport of volleyball, short. Um, and But I, I guess I, I made up for it in speed and quickness and smarts. Who knows? And and I, I just kept making teams, which I never thought that I would. And the next thing you know, just all these opportunities came. And, uh, and I'm really, you know, I feel very grateful and, and, and blessed to have the opportunity to to now have a career in what is my passion, my love, my fun. And so I feel very lucky for that and thankful for what sport has done for me. You played here at U of T? I did. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I, I played here for uh, three years. The volleyball program here was was okay. And actually, I was told by everybody else, don't go to U of T because they're not very strong. You're not going to you know, succeed. Uh, in the sport and but it's where I wanted to go to school so I I came here and I knew the woman that was the coach here and uh, I I enjoyed the experience here for for three years Uh, I was an all-Canadian athlete here and then I left to go to the national team so I hadn't finished my degree yet and I went and moved out to Regina where the women's national team was centered and stayed there to try to qualify for the Olympics for a few years we didn't qualify, and so then I came back and finished up my coursework here, uh, played my uh, played another year of eligibility, and it was in that year that I tore my ACL and had on Friday the 13th of January, actually, um, and and after that, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with, with volleyball playing or not mm-hmm. and to go back, and the athletic director at the time said to me... I think you'd be a really good coach. And the, the position for the volleyball team is, is opening as part-time right now. We might be able to make it into a full-time position. What do you think? And I had no intention whatsoever to go into coaching uh, at all. I, I studied sociology with a little bit of criminology, which maybe helps me as a coach. I don't know. But uh, I had no interest in it. Um, I obviously, I, I, I was a student of the game. I loved the game. And... I thought, well, what the heck? I still had a couple courses to take. I'll, I'll coach. So what was interesting about that is I was actually coaching all the women that I was playing with the year before. Right. And so that was, I was maybe 24 at the time mm-hmm. or no, like around, yeah, around 24 at the time when I started coaching. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I, I think I was not a really safe coach back then because um, <laughs> I was being, I was coaching the way that I had been coached, which uh, might not have been the most enlightened way of coaching and uh i've apologized to all those young women that i've worked with uh but i i i quite enjoyed it i thought i could stay for maybe one or two years 
It ended up becoming a full-time position through a Women in Sport Leadership Grant that Sport Canada had at the time. And I, 30 years later, I'm still here. So I, yeah, I, I really fell in love with it. And as a coach here, you've had so much success and it's incredible. I'm just wondering, have you coached any other teams other than here at the University of Toronto? In terms of uh, universities, no. I've coached, uh, I've coached Team Ontario. So I've, I've coached provincial okay. teams. I, yeah. I coached uh, indoor volleyball at the Canada Games, beach volleyball at the Canada Games. I coached um, different club teams, but not in terms of other universities or other colleges. No, I've, I've been exclusively at U of T. And so through all of your coaching experience from the days that you've apologized for to now, you have this range of experience that you're now offering as a teacher as well with U of T. Well, yeah, when I started, uh, when I got on here working full time, we were involved in uh, the academic side of, of things. So I would do activity courses and different things. And recently, well, for the last maybe almost 10 years, I've, I've, been involved with uh, a course called Topics in Coaching here. Uh, and even before that, there was a theory of coaching that we would be involved as as TAs or, or um, resources. So it's it's actually been really, it's it's been wonderful here at U of T because I can, you know, coach volleyball, which I love to do, but also, you know, have an impact in terms of uh, young students and, and Thinking about coaching and and you know pursuing the passion in the classroom as well as in the uh, in the gym. And uh, just for some clarification for the listeners, that topics and coaching course is offered through the Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education here at the University of Toronto. And tell us a little bit about that coaching topics course. Ah, well, it's <laughs> what I try to do is take a look at. Um, I, I'm I'm a practitioner, and I I state that up front. I'm not a researcher, um, but my practical experience is uh, influenced by the research and the theory. And so it's it's trying to combine what I try to do is combine what it's practically like to be a coach, right? And and what the theory or research um, says about it, and and how in many ways there's a disconnect in the practical side of coaching with the research around whether it's pedagogy or just learning and those types of things. I, I think there's a bit of a gap. Yeah. Some of that knowledge translation. It's like the, the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. And the, uh, so your experience is feeding into this course. Has teaching the course fed back into how you've changed your coaching approaches at all? Absolutely. I mean, it's um, it's been incredible to be able to to be current with what what is out there and and what the research is saying, what evidence is saying, and 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 sort of implement that in my own coaching practices. Yeah, and I think I've always been open to learning. When I first started coaching, I just coached the way that I was coached, and there were some I had some wise role role models and influential people in my life who would take me aside and go, uh, "Whoa, why are you doing this?" Do you even know that you're doing this? And so it started at my, the beginning of my career in coaching. And I remember uh, they videotaped and audiotaped me coaching. And then with trusted, caring people, we sat down and went over it. And it was relatively frightening <laughs> to, to hear it all and see it all. And then, you know, just 
the, it was sort of the first time where somebody said, why do you do that? And the answer was, I don't actually really know. I'm doing it because that's, you know, that's how I was coached. Right. And then when you start to ask the questions, like, why do you do it? And then when you start to dig into it. Mm-hmm. So I've been, I've been curious and open for that for a long time. And this course has just allows me to interact with colleagues in the faculty and um, just bring myself a little bit more up to date and current. And so and it's ever evolving. What do you think is, is the primary role of a coach? And does that differ based on the program? A simple answer to that is uh, I don't think it, it differs on a foundational right. level. I, I think ultimately what a coach is trying to do is facilitate individual and collective growth. And and to be able to do that, you know, that's the same at any level that you're coaching at. And building relationships, having individuals learn more about who they are, what their strengths are, a little bit more about uh, themselves helps them to be better at their craft. And so we're all trying to train the craft, whatever that is. Um, We're also all trying to prepare the individual physically, emotionally, mentally, connect the mind and the body so that they can play at their best too. So I think that remains the same. Yeah. No matter what level you're coaching at, the strategies and and how you implement that might vary depending on the level that you're at. But I think fundamentally, that's what a a coach is trying to nudge somebody to grow a little bit, um, to bring the best out of the collective if you're in a a team sport. And and I think that, that remains the same. And so how would you describe now, as you you eloquently put your earlier coaching style to be scary, if you could put one word (laughs) on your current coaching style, but also elaborate on it, if it's to get a sense of the the type of coach you are and the style that you bring to the game? Well, I think, uh, you know, I, I care deeply about the people that I work with. And and that, that hasn't changed. But I think how, you know, the impact of words, I think what I try to do is figure out how can I be effective? How can I be effective? How can I create change? How can I nudge this person forward? How can I help them be a little bit better? I think it's um, getting to know the people that you're working with and, and understanding their reasons for being involved. What's how what's important to them. And so I think building relationships is probably something that's that's grown over time as a coach. I think being more self-reflective of, of how I interact and, and what I do and how my impact, what my impact might be, because it's it's not so much, I think in my earlier days, I would have thought, it, this is the message I'm giving it to you. I mean, now I'm thinking about how is the receiver actually... <laughs> receiving the message I'm giving because it's coming out this way, but it's not necessarily being heard (laughs) that way. So to better understand how my messages and and teaching can be, can be understood and how they're received. So I think that's probably the biggest change is, is that, and it's, uh, so I think the self-reflection, you know, how, and, and thinking more about what is it that I can do a little bit differently? What is it, you know, when this isn't happening, I, I need to think it's problem solving, and, and I think before I was very um, directive and, you know, this is the way it is and I'm going to tell you how to do it this way. And now, I, I mean, there is a time when you lead, you know, there's a time when, you know, you need to have some level of directiveness in what you're doing. But sure. there's also, you know, trying to help the athletes develop at their own pace and, and their own way. And sometimes it's different strategies and different ways of doing it. So I think helping them to be more autonomous in their in their pursuit and their sports and, and what they're doing 
is probably a big change from just pure directive to a, a partnership. I think I always thought it was a partnership, but didn't understand that that's not a partnership. And now I understand that we actually, we, we're working together in here. We have the same goals and, and I, you know, I have to figure out how, and, and sometimes I, I fail miserably at it. <laughs> so sometimes I'm not so good at it. So, but it's a constant learning for me. So it's an ever, it's, I'm constantly evolving and learning and how to be better. Of course. And like the crux of that, like you said, is the self-reflection piece. And for you, I mean, and that's something that's consistent across anything. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure, Mike, you could relate in conducting research and without having self-reflection. and reflection. I self-reflect a lot. On yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, you know, on what works, what doesn't, and why. And But for you, is that has that been something that organically happened, or did you, like, start prioritizing it? Because if you don't, I don't know, I don't know what you, I find if I, if I don't prioritize it, it's a very easy thing to overlook. Yeah, I think I think a combination of of both. Like I think that I probably always, you know, have this ability, you know, I would think about what was the impact of what I just said and look at everybody's laughing at me even as a young kid or or whatever, right? So I think I was aware and and then thought about, well, maybe if I say it differently. But I also, it, it has to be a priority. Like I have to the first question that I ask is how did what I say impact this? Right? When when something has been going, well, how how is it what I'm saying or doing or how I ran it that impacted this that that could be that could be better? Yeah. So it is intentional, mm-hmm. but it's become sort of a habit of of intention. So I think it's probably a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. I I like how you mentioned uh, kind of an extension from that. I like how you mentioned language and the role language plays. Mm-hmm. So did could you expand just a little bit on what, like what do you think the role language plays in, in building say like a team culture language is is kind of everything it's i mean it's not everything but it's 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 so critical and it's one word can be interpreted 17 different ways yeah and so to provide clarity in in what we're saying and and what i'm saying to provide clarity in what what we mean to have clear understanding of what what the intention is. So even something like communicate. Well, communicate, everybody, communicate more, communicate more. What exactly is that? Right. Do you mean saying what's happening out loud? Do you mean asking the person a question? Do you mean, like, what does communicate mean? Does it mean the way that, are you communicating your body language? Are you communicating mm-hmm. with words? Do you have icon? Like, what do you, what do you mean by communicate? So I think it, it's just clarity and, and just making sure that there's, you know, as little misunderstanding as possible and, yeah. and clear understanding mm-hmm. with it so that, because people can walk away and suddenly it's 17 different understanding of what we said. And even such, like if I said to you, Steph, we'll meet downstairs outside the front door. You'd be, yeah, okay, great, great. And I'm at one door and you're at another door. But we very clearly understood. We didn't even need to ask the question. Yeah. Do you mean the door on that street or do you mean the door on this street? But so language is, is huge. And language in the moment of, in, uh, of intensity and in sport can be interpreted again. It depends on the lens with which the receiver is hearing hearing it. If I if the receiver is feeling very confident, feeling good, and then you say something, they might not even notice it. And if they're self doubt and not feeling good, and then suddenly this word says, "Oh my God, she's disappointed in me. She's yeah. done." So it's so huge. Like when I think of language in sport, there, there's two things that come to mind: the angry coach at halftime going and just giving some deep emotional 
uh, speech that just <laughs> empowers and motivates the team. And then on the other side, that coach that just says maybe one or two words, just get it done or what's the next task or just a simple, simple message. Well, what I think is is the most challenging part is right, like reading the, the feel of the room and, and, and the people mm. and, and yeah. what is, what does this moment call for? What does this moment, you know, what's going to affect the change or what's going to affect what I want to do? What's going to have the most influence in this moment? And it changes. You can have that same group of people, but the context in this moment is so totally different than the next moment. And so to try to figure out what's going to be the the key mm-hmm. to, to make a move. So I, 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 I mean, there, there are things, but it's almost, that becomes a feel of it, right? Like, so what is, what is happening in the moment right now? And how can, what's going to inspire them in this moment? What's going to inspire? And what I don't want to do is distract them. What I don't want to do is interfere. And so it's that fine balance between how do I inspire and not interfere, because sometimes when we speak, we say things, and then I go, oh, my gosh, I just totally <laughs> messed that up. And it reminds me of, I don't know if you remember, one of the Olympics, there was um, a speed skater, and I don't know, he was like a 1,500-kilometer, 1,500-meter race, and you go round yeah. and round and round, and you have to switch lanes. And his coach, he was on a world record time, and his coach was telling him to switch lanes, mm-hmm. and he himself thought, well, maybe I don't switch lanes, Right. This was about 2010, maybe, in the Winter Olympics. And he was going round and round. And the coach said, switch lanes, switch. And he switched lanes, and he got disqualified. And he was on a gold medal, right? And I thought to myself, okay, so you, I mean, you just have to be careful because you do not want to interfere. Like, you, you, yeah. you want to help. You want to inspire. You want to move them forward. And, and you don't want to interfere. So I think, for me, the art is figuring out what is it that's, that's most important. I mean, one of the things is... You know, where your attention goes, energy flows, right? So that's mm-hmm. one of to try to get them back, like, what's most important here, right? Because where your attention goes, energy flows, mm-hmm. right? And, and so it's, it's trying to figure that out. And I think it's being very mindful of, of even how you say, for, for example, if somebody is having difficulty with a skill and it's just, you're not ready yet. We're going to keep working on it. You're not ready yet. Like, to just even give the, the inspiration that it, it'll come. Just, mm-hmm. you're yeah. not you're not ready just yet like we'll, we'll get there like and, and maybe they they try out for a national team or it's just that you're just not ready yet we keep working and we keep doing it and kind of inspire them so I think it is about reading and understanding and that's where getting to know the people that you're working with is yeah, critical getting that rapport yeah and it also sounds like it sounds like in the way that you were asking the question Mike it, it's it comes it's almost like can we create this handbook for coaches, like a good, you know, solid phrases, solid language, yeah. help me pass on your wisdom. And then, but in, this, in the way you've described it, it's experience based. It's feeling that room and be like, I felt this before, and last time X didn't work. So this time I'm going to try this or, and so, yeah, we can't, we can't just make a book about it. <laughs> got to live it. You've got to learn it. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that's sort of what you've talked about in terms of, you know, the halftime speech or the different, there, you know, yeah. those sorts of things. I, you know, I have learned to to be mindful of my words just in communicating with people, though, in terms of mm-hmm. we're not ready yet. It's, it's context. It's it's the people. It's the relationships. It's it's all those things. It's being aware of that and uh, being aware of what we're focusing on. That that for me, that becomes a lot of self reflection on what I'm focusing on because then my feedback sometimes is is maybe you know not providing them with what they're doing well enough. 
more providing with what they need to work on. And, and I have to be very conscious of that. I slip right. back into that mm. a lot. Uh, and trying to ask them, how can I coach you better? How can I give you better feedback? Now, do you find athletes vary in the type of feedback they like? And do you find that difficult trying to bounce back between somebody who just wants you to be hard on them, to push them, versus someone who might prefer a more softer approach? Well, it's definitely difficult because everybody is different. And I think it's because they've come from 10 years or eight years of a certain amount of training. And so how can I be an effective leader? But I also have to, I have to meet them where they are, like where they've come from. And so this is where the research, the, the, the theory and practice becomes difficult because what the athletes sometimes think they need, it's because that's what they've had. It doesn't necessarily mean that this is the best environment for learning. It's the environment I'm used to, though. It's the environment that I expect. And so it's there's a bit of unlearning in the times that, uh, I mean, coaching at the university, we have the, the student-athletes for four to five years. So there's a period of unlearning and then and then learning for some. So it's trying to create an environment where they can learn and they can grow, and all of us, and myself included, um, and then, but also meeting them where they are. And when they, when they come in, they come from so many different places and, and, and what they're used to and, and what they think is works best for them. And how, how has your experience as a player influenced your coaching style? I think now, uh, not as much as when I started. What was interesting in my first 10 years of coaching, I also was a national team beach volleyball athlete. So I competed internationally and was an elite uh, high-performance athlete at the same time as coaching. And I think that was actually a really, probably the most, where I could, like, literally, I was the athlete in those moments. I am now the coach in those moments. And I was was more mature. I was in my mid-30s by this time. So the age and my experience allowed me to to sort of be able to cross-reference these very, very easily. And I still, those still sit in, in my mind in terms of, you know, what, it, what it's like in these moments, what it's like to feel the challenge and the, the pressure in those moments and, and how difficult it is to learn. And so I still have that, but it's a bit more distant and I still need to find a way to get into, to remind myself of what it was, what it was like, because I think I'm a bit more effective. Do you miss being a player? I... Uh... I love, I actually found being a player uh, easier because you're so in control and so living it and so immersed in the moment of it and just in just purely doing. Whereas coaching, you're kind of uh, watching a little bit of everything and, and, and seeing certain things. So it's, I do miss that aspect of playing, that just being immersed in the moment mm-hmm. um, and just being so, I thrived on on those moments of, you know, this this is this is an exciting moment, and I'm I want to be the one to be mm-hmm. involved in this and actually yeah. doing it. Whereas in a coach, you're you you actually don't have that level of control. You 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 hope that you've you've helped them, the people that you're working with, to be able to cope in those moments, and you hope that you have something valuable to say in those moments to help them be able to cope better. So it's it's I find it significantly more stressful. You know, talking about that sort of as a coach, you're. You're not in the moment, you're in that one step removed, I guess. 
there's a bit of an ongoing shift in some sports where like team achievement and accolades aren't really viewed as accomplishments of coaching, but are, are strictly athlete achievements. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just curious what, what your thoughts are on that. Well, the reality is the athletes do actually execute and sure. perform the skills and and get the wins, the goals, the whatever. So right. I, I, I think it's it's obviously a community a community of of support and people who facilitate that and and help that to happen. But it is actually the the athletes that mm-hmm. that do do that. It's the it's, it's the athletes that actually perform it in those moments, which are incredibly stressful. Yeah. And I think it de- I think it depends. Sometimes you know they say, "Well, the coach has done that," and then sometimes they say, "It's you know, the coach had nothing to do. It was the athlete." So. I mean, in my world, and I live in a little bubble because I have this, <laughs> I have this love-hate relationship with sport. I uh, completely love it because it's incredible in terms of um, personal growth, and it's just a fabulous place to, to be, but it's also uh, so superficial and ridiculous and, uh, on another <laughs> level. So I, I, live, I, I live in the middle. I'm a paradox, and I live, try to find peace somewhere in the middle. So I don't believe in all that stuff. I think that it's always a community of support. There are so many factors that play into a success. So yeah. many. It's it's unbelievable from the coaching staff to the support to the admin to the people who came before who helped to create the culture. Like it's it's so much and it's so multifactorial that I think that's very simplistic. But I think that's easier for news. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. And, and I don't think we can really overlook at all the contribution of you as a coach. If we look at your time at U of T, you've been in the final for OUA 22 times with seven OUA championships, also a national title. Actually, I think 29 times. 29 times. <laughs> we'll update that for the listeners. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's something to be said about coaches, um, although the athletes are the ones doing it in the moment. What would you say, given those those few stats of the many that exist around your work, mm-hmm. what um, of your philosophy that you've brought to U of T has been able to keep this program on top at a provincial level, but also a national level? Yeah, you know, I I, I don't I don't actually really know. I mean, I, I think. You know, it's about trying to bring the best out of the people that you're working with. It's about bringing in great people to to help facilitate that. It's, you know, there have been such incredible people who have come through the program. And I uh, I think it's a testament to, you know, the, communi- the community around and, and the connections. And I think that just that comes back to the building relationships and uh, building a space where where people can can grow, can, you know, challenge themselves. And I, I mean, I love the fact that the, I try to connect sport to, to life. I mean, it's so apparent. I had actually one uh, former student athlete who she's a physician, a surgeon in, in, in the UK. And I, I went to visit her and she had a volleyball court on her whiteboard in her kitchen. And I said, what is that for? And she goes, it just reminds me to take a deep breath, stay within the lines when I'm doing my surgery. Right. So just, I mean, all of these things are the same. Do you think life is going to, you know, you have difficulty in sport and, and, and you have to, you have, you know, you're being challenged. Well, you know, hello, welcome to life. Like this is life. This is what life is. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to function in uncomfortableness. You're going to have to function in challenges. The beauty of this is that we do it on a court where we're trying to keep a ball off the floor and we're trying to put a ball on the floor. And if we win or lose, it really doesn't matter. 
right? It's not like, you know, we lose our house, we lose our job, we've done this or something's ha- it's These are real life experiments where we can rise to a challenge, we can do our best. And in the end, eh, it's not a big deal, just a ball right. in the ground. So, but I think how we connect this to life and I look at the people in the program and I'm like, of course you can do this, whatever it is that you're doing. Look at what you did here. You can do this here. You can work with new people. You can, you can figure it out. Yeah, you, you don't have to have experienced being, you know, whatever career you're going into. You know that you're resourceful. You know that you're hardworking. You know that you can focus your attention. You know that you can work with people. You know that you can do these things. So go, go do these things. So, I, you know, I think it's, it's been the community within it. It's, it's been the people that we bring, that we bring in to help. I think it's, yeah, I, I, I don't really know, but I do feel that there's this, um, you know, that it's, it's, it is volleyball and it's important and super competitive and I'm always trying to win. But at the same time, like, re- it's really about how we can be free to play at our best, to be at our best in these incredibly challenging moments. Yeah. Incredibly challenging. Like, and when my father had a stroke, I remember, and he was an athlete and, and he had to teach himself how to use his left hand again. And he'd be in physio and he'd be like, I don't understand why those other people, they're not trying. Like, they're, they're not, they're not, like, you gotta do it. You can't get it the first time. I said, I know, Dad, not everybody's an athlete. Not everybody's been through this, right? So I think it's just, it's this incredible, uh, you know, life laboratory that has no consequences, really. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, 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 and that you can use these things. So so I, I, I think the people who've been involved in the program have, have grown and continue to give back. And they're dedicated and work hard. They're incredible uh, student athletes who come in here. And the people who come in here want to be challenged like they they want to have a challenge so not everybody will thrive here and the ones that do are you know um in, enjoy challenges so i think it's the challenging caring environment and and where these people go beyond volleyball is like i i think one of the the most rewarding things for me is looking at the people who've been involved in the program and just seeing where they are now and knowing that when they when they leave this program they're there they're strong, they're courageous, they're going to weather storms, they're going to be able to do it. And, you know, they, they, they know that they're capable. And then to see them come back and, and to be involved in where they are, just, it's incredible. For me, maybe, maybe others have heard this, these terms before, but the way you said life laboratory and these real life experiences that are in more of this controlled environment where the stakes aren't as high in terms of like the greater impacts in your life outside of the court it's just like it's it's so beautiful because it's so often we all doubt ourselves and these are perfect examples of being able to have achieved it even if you don't recognize it but having someone like you to say to your athletes to say you just did this and it's those small things those small experiences are what allow us to take that next leap because without that sometimes we just think there's no chance in hell I'll be able to do that. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I love, that it's beautiful. I mean, you, you'd mentioned, and I know we've talked considerably about how it's, you know, your, your work isn't just your work. It's part of a, a greater team. What sort of characteristics do you look for in a supporting staff, whether that's that's coaches or physios? Or are there any sort of like personality things that just work? They don't necessarily have to be involved in volleyball. It, it depends. Um you know, a really important piece is open to learning, is uh, 
you know, obviously qualities of, of integrity and, and honesty, but also humility. I think we all have to be, you know, willing, willing to learn. We all have to be open to learning and, and, and with as well, I'm going to say loyalty, but I, I, I meant in terms of that we, we all have the same goal in mind. And so that's why we're willing to be open and we're willing to, to learn. And so I think that's, that's a big piece in how you, your relationship with somebody and so your interpersonal skills become critical and obviously the the skills that they provide need to fill a gap in 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 what we have so Mm -hmm. and and I think you know as much as possible putting people around me that are not the same as me and so we have you know different personalities and um, different ways of doing things and and um, so I think that's really important, as well as the skills that that are involved in. Uh, so you know, and everything from uh, dietitian to uh, sport med therapy to um, mental performance. Uh, I'm going to call it sociocultural group dynamic type things to uh, technical things and and uh, volleyball aspects. So everything, whatever can you know fill a gap that we have. We we. We look for for that, and then for sure try to find different people, different personalities. So one of the things that we had talked about how you can advocate for yourself as a coach or, or promote yourself. So maybe like a hypothetical, you're applying for a coaching position. You know, what sort of skills or achievements, stuff like that, would you use? And then as an extension, how do you negotiate term for a coaching appointment as well? Well, I think in terms of, uh, you know, what you would highlight if you were applying for a position, I think you, you have to really know what you're applying for. Like, what's, what, is the, what is the organization or what is the team or the culture and how can you, you best fit, you know, what are the skills you have that can best fit into that um, and highlight those. I think it's really interesting because I think I've had lots of successes um, in terms of medals or performance and those types of things, which to me are are not so important, but they actually get you in the door because, you know, it's that superficial side of sport where those things become really important to some people. Right. So, you know, but you don't necessarily, you don't have to have those things. But if I were, in some ways, that actually it gives credibility in right. the sport community. Yeah. Is it important to me? No. I mean, yes, I always want to win, but is is that what I would say would be my biggest thing? I mean, no, but I would say I can I can help you be successful, and this is how I can help you be successful. These are the things. So, knowing what your strengths are, I think is 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 the most important thing. So, what highlight your strengths and not try to be the strengths that you think coaches should be, or that you've seen, or or that they want. What is your strength? What is the strength that you offer? And this is what I can do for you, and this is how I can make your program better and how I can help you and, and how I can learn from you as well. So I think it's, um, it's knowing that it's knowing your own strengths. It's, there's so many factors that play into it, but I think if you know your strength and if my strength is, you know, uh, technical expertise or my strength is strategy or my strength is analytics or my strength is, is this, then, then, then say, this is the strength. And this is where I think I, I can fit into the program that I can help you in terms of thinking about terms of a, of, a coaching contract or something. I mean, so many pieces need to go into it, you know, to think about, for me, it would, what's important is the length of term because I, I, what's important to me is relationships and, and getting an, an understanding and growing and building a culture. So that doesn't happen in one year. 
So yeah, that, that takes some time. And putting the right people, ensuring that I have some freedom to, to put the people around who I think can help me and, and the program facilitate that would be another conversation. Who, what are the supports that are, are provided? I also think opportunity for you know, professional development and hopefully that wherever I'm going is, is interested in, in helping me grow. And these are some of the things that I need to help me grow as a coach. Yeah. And what the expectations are coming in from the organization. And I, I do think in, in sport, if you can, if you do have successes in the way that the mainstream sport sees it, you, you want to put that out there. You want to say that I've, I've achieved this, mm. I've achieved that, if you have them, because that's sometimes what, what they look for, right? And, right? and so that's, that is important. And you, you identified that having professional development opportunities for yourself to be important. Is there an area in your coaching that you're currently working on? Uh, well, always. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> many things. I, you know, one of, I think one of the things, the sort of just making sure that I, I sort of am aware of, of sort of some of the trends internationally and, and strategically what's going on in the sport, which, which is the fun thing to do. Well, it's all fun, but um, I, I, I like to do that. And I have an assistant coach who's... Uh, who's European, who has uh, access to watch a lot of these uh, international matches. So that's, uh, that's and, and, and have some discussions there. But one of the things that's really important for me now, I think, is what I'm finding is that some of the, the student athletes that I work with don't necessarily have the emotional agility, I'm going to say, to have conversations and, and so that they, they can actually have productive, genuine uh, relationships with the people that they're working with and learn a little bit more about themselves and, and to not be scared of emotion. Like what I find, and this might have happened before too, so I, I just, maybe it's more magnified, but there are good feelings and uh, emotions and then there's bad ones. And if you're tired or fatigued or frustrated, those are kind of bad and then the good ones are, you know, I feel happy and energized and this. And it's kind of like, well, they just are. Like, and, and they're just put into one box or the other. And so I, I trying to figure out how to do that in my coaching um, and, and provide them and help to provide with, this, with the tools then, so that they have tools and skills to, to help them better navigate. Because when they can navigate that, then they can work in a very stressful environment together. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, you're, you're on the court in athletic clothing and you're you know sometimes webcast and there are people there and there's all these moments that these things happen and so how is it that you can believe in yourself work together with somebody else not be concerned about what they're thinking or judging or how and and then without all that I mean if you're free to play and you have a little bit of emotional agility you're probably going to be a better player and you're going to play better I think it's interesting with volleyball too because both Mike and I, when we played uh, for university uh, university sport, we played rugby, which is only a three month sport. So our very quick, very quick. and you yeah. have off season training, and but your off season training is usually split up across different <laughs> practitioners. So weight uh, weight training, yeah. so conditioning, etc. So with your time with your your coach is usually about three months plus, you know, tra- um, the preseason training, and so. With your relationship with your athletes, you see, like we could go hard for three months and then make up for those three months afterwards. But with the volleyball season, you can't neglect school or work or life 
for the entire year. So you're dealing with a whole nother level of emotional exhaustion, fatigue, everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it, and you can see sort of the waves up and down, right? Mm. And just as it goes academically, family, you know, everything. So it's, uh, it is a challenge. And, uh, and, it, and I also think what, what makes it challenging, too, in terms of where relationship building is really important to me is, you know, I'm fully aware of the inherent power of the coach. And so, and even how to, how to continue to, to build those relationships and grow and understanding that it's, it's difficult and, and it's difficult in the role that I have and, and, and how they hear what's happening. And then depending on where the ups and downs of the season where they're at, right and and how they relate to one another how relate how they relate to themselves in these moments mm. you know so yes it's definitely uh the season takes its its toll up and down yeah, up and down and generally there are like our playoffs end up toward towards the end of the season like ultimately what you want to try to be is as fresh as possible at the end of the season yeah because you know, you have to try to bring your best in those moments. It's been long. It's been tiring. I really like how you mentioned that sort of good feelings and bad feelings and how athletes tend to form judgments around that and associate those with moral dispositions, so to speak. Because, like, you know, if you think about it, you played volleyball at about the highest level you could possibly play volleyball, and you experienced negative thoughts, right? What high performer doesn't, right? Everybody does. And so I, I really like that you, you emphasize the fact that everybody experiences those thoughts, but you have to perform in spite of Because I, I think that's a really, really positive lesson to be learned for, for athletes, particularly we're, we're looking at university-level athletes. They're whatever, 17, 18, like young adults, teenagers going into full adulthood um, over that, that university transition. And it's it's trying to help and I mean I it's for me too it's not just for the athletes I work with but you know to to know the difference between I am angry or I'm feeling anger mm. right or I am sad no I'm feeling some sadness it, it doesn't define who I am so the emotion doesn't define who I am that there and and where is where is this frustration anger coming from and and being willing to to look through that so and there there's some language right I am angry, I'm feeling angry, right? Is it defining who I am or is it just a state of what I am in this moment? And so it's, and everybody goes through the gamut of it and yeah. trying to get, mm-hmm. you know, trying to help them understand that this is not good or bad. And, and I also think the difference uh, now is, is I'm going to say Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that has probably magnified the good, bad side right because you know i'm i look happy i'm i live a great life i don't and I'm, i'll take ten thousand pictures to make sure the right one gets up here because i need the good one not the bad one so i think all of that plays into it and how to to help and that be another skill how to help them navigate through this you know so i i i think that's been a challenge but i think that's not going away that's that's what we have to work with and i think we have to find a way i have to find a way to help them through that and i i work my, with young women so it's the lens with which one young women are looking at all these things and, and how they're judged so i think that's an, an added layer of challenge and um and hard to get at who they really 
are and, and learn more yeah. about themselves because they're so on display and, constantly. And lessening that uh, reactivity to emotions. And so it's more like, like you were saying, I'm feeling sad and then pausing and saying, where is this coming from? And like, how can I find some tools to work with this? And so the next time it comes up, I know how to, how to, and, and, and with, with Instagram, it's so interesting because there's now, especially more and more emerging research around comparative, um, comparative research on, and how that results in your level of happiness and self-reflection and such, but there's. Um, not to go on like too much of a off, off base, but just a really interesting little test that exists. When asked, would you rather make $50,000 or $100,000? I mean, you, you guys can both answer that for me. 100. 100. <laughs> Easy, yeah. Why would anyone say 50? That would be nice. Then, and which is the most common answer. But then when the question is rephrased to say, would you rather make $50,000 when everyone surrounding you is making $25,000? Or you can make a hundred thousand dollars, and everyone surrounding you is making two hundred or plus that hundred thousand dollars. The then the answer is then to sway closer to the fifty thousand dollars. So isn't that interesting? The yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we have now instead we have that comparative in our pockets every day in a curated fashion where everyone looks like they're not necessarily making two hundred thousand dollars and you're making a hundred, but looks this much prettier or this much yes. more um, accomplished or what have you. And so this, that's now your new measure of who you are. And, and yeah, you as a coach have to guide these young athletes, sometimes older athletes going through that when even as adults, we're figuring it out too. Absolutely. So just uh, as, as a bit of a segue, um, you know, you'd mentioned Instagram as, as something that's kind of newly, being a part of your coaching experience in terms of the type of athlete that you work with. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about, you know, you spent 30 years here at U of T, just how that's things that have changed over, over that time period, uh, perhaps looking to how athletes have changed or, or, you know, the program perhaps. Wow. Well, lots has changed. And I mean, it's really, uh, it's interesting to look back at it now. We actually just had our, the last team I played on before I started coaching, the 1988-89 team was inducted into the UT Sports Hall of Fame this last May. And so had, you know, just an amazing um, and time with the with the women in, from, that, from that era and come back. And just to talk about <laughs> what has changed, you know, and I mean, Significantly more um, support and resources have, have, have come in to the program, uh, but with that has also come more expectations on some level in terms of performance, right? So, and obviously, the even just like back then, I was laughing because, you know, I mean, you used to actually have to phone up somebody and tell them something, right? Like now, nobody does. They text, they move, they do whatever, right? Yeah. You take two vans and you you couldn't talk to the other van. You'd have to draw a note on the window to say, hey, <laughs> right? So there was, I mean, just inherently, there was more interpersonal conversations because you had to. There wasn't right. anything else. So I think that's changed the nature. And I think you have to be, we have to be very intentional about having um, conversations. And and when it's explained to the people and to the athletes you work with, it makes total sense to them. And they totally agree. For mm -hmm. example, 
you know, yes, we don't get to actually talk very much. So when we at meals, our cell phones don't come out, right? Like this is just, we, we talk. Like, so just coming up with, um, you know, just things that you wouldn't have thought about before that you have to, to think about. And how do you have the conversations? How do the people have the conversations together? And, and uh, so I think that's probably the biggest one. Um, but also the supports. We now have um, a full-time assistant coach who works with us. So the amount of time, energy, and effort, technology is great. And there's so much in terms of analytics and video. But holy cow, that's a whole other side of things that, yeah. you know, again, the expectation, it's, it's like writing a paper. I mean, I used to have a typewriter, right? So the expectation of what you wrote and how you research was way different than it is today with what you're capable of. So it's the just, rate of productivity, the rate of, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. just, it's, it's all changed with that. I also, the amount of time and energy that the young women in, invest in their own development is remarkable. Mm that the earlier years would not have invested this much time from the physical to, you know, the emotional, mental side of things, to the technical side of things, to the strategy. So it's it's really in way more time invested in there than in the past. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's evolved and in some ways, you know, has allowed us to really grow and flourish like now we have a few athletes who've who've made to the national team who competed in the 2012 2016 olympics like so that's that's really changed and and in terms of their growth and and the number the one thing that hasn't changed is that the people who come out of this program and out of U of T are incredible like just what they do and what my hope is when they come in that I can nudge them and push them a little bit further than what they think is possible for them not just in the volleyball court but, you know, so, well, mm-hmm. why, okay, you, why wouldn't you want to go to law school? Of course you could. Why wouldn't you do graduate school? Of course you could. Ah, I don't know. Yeah, of course you could. You know, and, okay, you didn't do well on your answer. Write it again. Big deal. Go again. Take it three, four times. Who cares? Like, keep going. Yeah. Right? So it, it, what's been remarkable, that hasn't changed. Those incredible human beings that have come out of the program and what they're doing now and how they're making differences in the world, that's, that's remained the same. The support that's here, the expect, you know, the the amount of time that they invest in it, um, has 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 changed dramatically. Ha- we have to be more intentional of dialogue, more in- intentional of conversations, more intentional of building. I think team culture. It has to be really intentional. It does not. Whereas I think it happened automatically back then because they had nothing else but to talk with one another. Mm-hmm. And so there was a bit more conversation. So it just, it, I think, have to be more intentional. We cannot take it for granted that if you put three people together for, you know, in a hotel room for however long, that they're actually going to get to know each other, right? Like, I'm, I'm fascinated sometimes. Like, we'll go someplace, somebody's parents have us for dinner, and I just said, oh, why doesn't, you know, this is a new athlete on the team. Why don't you introduce yourself, say something unique about you? And there's like, I didn't know you did. I didn't know you had that. I didn't know that. And I'm like, you've been spending like, you know, all these hours together. How is it that you don't know this? So it's, it's just, it's intention. And I think intention that some of the tools and skills that they, they need to work together and to learn are, are not automatically there. And I'm just, I'm, I'm reminded of that over and over again. So I think just more and more intention with language, intention with how we can build a culture. What kind of culture do you want? and start small pieces and try to make it try to make it contagious somehow but it's it's very deliberate it's 
What appears not deliberate is very deliberate. Are there some mistakes or common mistakes, I guess, that you see like newer or younger coaches make? So I'm going to say the mistakes that I make. I make lots of them all the time. I, I, I fail miserably a lot. Um, it's about like it's about facilitating the growth of the, the people you're working with. And so it's not about you. Like it's as a coach, it's not about you. Right. And so I think there is an inherent, I think a recognition of what is the power of a, of, of a coach. So I, th- I think that's the first piece that maybe gets overlooked. I have this position that gives me power. It's not necessarily, you know, that I have the knowledge or I've earned, I, like this position gives me power and I can do anything. Right. It's it's an unchecked, unregulated profession, unfortunately, and so I I, I just think an, an acknowledgement of the power that I that I have, and so when you see, I mean, everybody gets emotional at times, and and you know, I think when you see a snapshot of somebody, you can't make a judgment, but it's always about how do you how do you create a you know uh, an effective learning environment, a positive learning environment for the long term that you're you have these you're borrowing these people for a brief period of time it's it's not like you own them and so i think just i I would say that be the first thing is just a recognition of the power that that you have and and to be aware that the words are very powerful in them because it's coming from the position that you have um you know and i think and it's hard because the sport the other piece would be that you're not defined by your team in the same way that I talked about emotions. I am not my team, right? Like I, I, I am helping the team do this, but if they perform well, it doesn't mean that I'm great. And if they pay, perform poorly, it doesn't mean that I'm awful. It's under, it's sort of that, that separation. The team does not define how effective of a coach I am. Right. It's right. not necessarily. And so I think younger or coaches who are, are beginning, and it's really hard because the parents depending on the, the age that you're doing, the parents, the, maybe the organization, the administration, they believe the result is the coach. Mm-hmm. And so you're bombarded with that constantly. So I understand where it comes from. And so it's, I, think it's, I think it's really hard to, to navigate yourself in this world when you're trying to do one thing and the whole world is, you know, uh, and particularly I'm going to say parents at, at the youth age, like they're very critical depending on what's happening of the coach. And it's hard. A big piece of advice would be make sure you have a supportive environment around you, Mm -hmm. whether they are your coaching staff or whether that you just have people that go, no, you're sane. They're a little (laughs) bit insane. (laughs) What you're doing is good. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. You know, don't change. But if you don't have that, you can get caught up in this and, 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 and lose sight of it. So, and while you're building your confidence as a, as, as a coach, one, know your strengths and be okay to say, well, that's not my strength. So maybe I bring somebody in who, who can do that, right? right? So that we can work together and don't try and be who you are. Don't try to be coach X, coach Y that you saw on TV, right? Be who you are genuinely um, and have a supportive in- environment around you that says, no, no, you're, you, you got it. You're good. Like, okay, so we might have to grow on this side or that, but be you. So I think a supportive environment is, is hugely a support around you, wherever it comes from, that you've got people that you can go to and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Because you're, you're going to start 
you're going to start as a, co- a young coach, you're going to start feel that, uh, or, and I know I did, that people would perceive who I am, not just who I am as a coach, but who I am based on how the team succeeded. And I think when you're young, particularly a young new one, you're still trying to figure out your own, right? You have your own doubts and your own this, and you're so the comparison thing. And so I, I think it's even more challenging. Right. And, and I don't think we necessarily support new, new coaches coming in with supports that say, okay, especially if you're not of the dominant group who's coaching. So if it's primarily males, white males who are coaching and, and you're a female or you're a person from a different culture or race or whatever, or define yourself differently, you, you, again, the lens with which you see this becomes even, even bigger. And so what kind of supports are we putting in place to say, no, you actually, you got it, you got it. I mean, the same is true in any other workplace, which is, you know, a homogeneous workplace of, of whatever. Right. So it's, but I, I think we, we need to, I, I think better supports in there. So if I was getting into coaching, I'd say, first off, never coach alone. Ever. <laughs> that would be my number five. And I don't care who your assistant coach is. It could be your best friend who knows nothing, but they're sitting there beside you so that you have a support. When possible, have somebody beside you who, who who's there. And make sure it's somebody that you trust and that you have faith in. Because if you don't, that just adds another layer of doubt. What it is is, a, is maybe gives you some questions of some problems that you need to start solving, right? So the challenges that come are, are just, they're questions. They're, they're research mm-hmm. questions. Okay, so how, how am I go about fixing this? And what is that? And so you right. can't ignore it and say, oh, it's just the athletes. They don't get it. It's like, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is a problem here. I have to figure it out. I got to come up with some kind of a solution. So having this, this buffering system with you to, to go through the feedback and work through the feedback that you're receiving, whether it's positive or negative, to see which which components are actually important and not just internalizing them all and and having a mental breakdown as a result of it. And I think we lose a lot of coaches in every sport because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm thinking too, like how many coaches start off in a paid position? None almost. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like everybody starts off as a volunteer. And so these are people who are volunteering their time (laughs) to get, you know, <laughs> rapid fire, to, rapid fire. To, to, <laughs> you're volunteering your time to feel less and less about yourself yeah. as you're doing this. And, and, and it is, I mean, coaching is a giving, I'm not saying a giving activity. Like you, you're, you're giving, oh, you're yeah. teaching, you're like, yeah. and it's not always that you're, you're getting energy back or you're getting, you know, that it's, it will over time, but when you're when you're first, it's giving, and that's that's the other reason for the support. You 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 obviously take something from it too, absolutely. But what you want is to be giving energy, and hopefully, you know, you you get something back. But when you're beginning in these volunteer, and often it's an environment you're not too sure about, and you know, you don't always have the support, and then. The coaches start coaching in ways that even they would recognize. Like I know in that early stages of my career, like when I began, when I coached through the year and through the summer, through the year and through the summer, and then I was like nasty. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where I'm like, whoa, I don't like who I how I'm what I'm doing now so I had to do a little self-care in there and so for sure as a volunteer and you have to get something from it you have to you're giving 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 there it's not a whole lot but there's got to be some joy that you that you get back from it 
And so if it's, if you don't have the supports and if you don't, like, and it, so I think putting yourself in a place where you can have the supports in an organization that'll support you will also be helpful. Good advice. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think that's such, that's incredible. One of my coaches who, who said, you know, it's, it, it's, it's like being a, a graduate student, right? You have a committee, you have a supervisor, mm-hmm. you yeah. have, and so you don't always like the advice that they give you, but <laughs> you know, they, they're, they're a support. If they just said, you go do it, it would and then you, at the end, you go in front of a group that does nothing but throw a whole bunch of curveballs and says your work is this and that and this and that. It'd be very difficult. You have you have supports with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's the same type of thing. And I, mm-hmm. and I get I think because it's volunteer, we don't have that many people. They're desperately looking for somebody to coach Team always, X, Team Y, always. and then somebody goes, "Yeah, this is great," and they come in there, and then they're like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm out of here. Like this is just crazy, <laughs> right?" So now. How do you identify a leader for your team? Because there's so often, like so quickly, we would see somebody who's charismatic and dynamic and um, putting up all the scores and you're like, they're clearly could be the captain. But is there something beyond what most people would jump to in terms of like captain potential and leadership potential that that you, you see? I mean, everybody has the ability. Everybody is a leader in some in some way. I think what we traditionally see as the there's a point scoring leader on you know perhaps the the player and that doesn't necessarily mean and in fact what a lot of um, research suggests is that they are actually the one they might have influence but they might not be the one who's best able to lead the team and so you know finding the other leaders and and I think it's a combination of leaders so. Uh, and it depends on the sport that you have. Like in the sport of volleyball, the captain is the only one who can actually speak to the official. The coach can't, and no other player can. So sometimes when you see, you know, who's the coach in volleyball, you have to find somebody who on the court can go and have a conversation with the official, then come back and do their job. And so it's not necessarily the person who leads the group, mm-hmm. right? They have a, a different role. And every sport is different in terms of what the actual, quote, captain needs to do but I think it's identifying the qualities of of the different qualities of people and and it's each year it's creating actually you know it's a recipe but the ingredients kind of change like there are there are pieces of of character that that we need to have a strong leadership group so there may be somebody you know we the informal leaders are the ones you need to understand who has the most influence in the group and and you know do you have uh, Franson's group, uh, Franson's research, but there's motivational leaders, there's social leaders, there's task leaders, and uh, external leaders, yep. right? And so, it's it's trying to see and making sure that your your recipe has these ingredients. And sometimes when you go to look and you go, whoa, I have no motivational leader. Okay, right. So so it's taking a look at all these these different pieces. So I think getting to know the strengths of your athletes, finding out who may be the one that can be task-oriented, finding out who may be the one that, you know, is, is really interested in connecting the team and doing activities outside and organizing. And then, so I think it's identifying the, what are, what are the leadership qualities that you need within your team to function? And then identifying who might best do that with the team you have, if you're not, you know, if you can select them, maybe. But who can who can best do it? And then, and then it's being very intentional and deliberate and helping them see how those strengths can help the team. 
So, and I think empathy is a huge one. I think is uh, is not easy to find and needs to be developed over time because the more empathy that people have for one another and and an interest in the relationships with people, I think the stronger the group can be. And not everybody will be high on that scale, right? Trust is hugely important, right? So. I think it's it's trying to find who who are the people on the team and and in the past few I'd say the past decade there's been a group of people or groups of people mm-hmm. who have different sort of uh, leadership tasks because I don't think you will ever find one person or very rare that you will ever come across somebody who can do all of those things right so I'm I'm going to go in the opposite direction It'd be a bit of a <laughs> cynical one mm-hmm. how do you deal with with toxic players <laughs> or bad team culture poor team culture what are some strategies you use to sort of min- minimize the effect that they have on the overall overall culture overall team and make sure there's no as as you put earlier that that contagious culture i don't think there are ever any i i think people just haven't learned yet don't have the skills yet or aren't ready yet to be working in, in a high-performance environment or, you know, being able to work together with a group. So it's just in, in the window of opportunity of university sport, you have four or five years, right? So right. it's so I, I think everybody has um, has has the ability, and I think it's, it's about creating the right mix. So I think at the – I mean, I'm not always successful at it, I have to say, but – it's try, right up, right at the beginning, and again, being very intentional and being very deliberate, and trying to be proactive about building the relationships, building the communication, get there so that they keep the main thing, the main thing. Where is it? What is our purpose? What is it that we want to do? Right. And because even if your staff only concerned about you and your success, well, the bottom line is our success is going to help that. Mm-hmm. So, so right. we, we can, we, our goals can be aligned, right? So, and it's, and it's a getting, it's, it's just helping everybody to, to have clarity about why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing, what our purpose is, and then reminders, uh, encourage and reminders about that constantly. And, and knowing that there will be a misalignment of goals somewhere. So if you understand that when you start with your team, you okay, how am I going to help to create this at the beginning? How am I going to be proactive with this at the beginning? Right? And how do I how do I help everybody get on and if and if they're not ready yet to say this is what's most important to me, then then it's maybe not not the place for them. They're not right. ready yet. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think it's really just just about um, finding those who can align their goals. And everybody's going to be different. Somebody's going to be all about the teams and even the ones that are all about them, but they need the team to succeed. So we can move forward here right. and make it work. So mm-hmm. I think it's doing everything you can and then addressing the pro- addressing any issue immediately. Immediately. You're in a meeting and when it, you're, we're talking and one of the athletes goes, rolls their eyes. So we need to address that right away. So I think it's it's being aware of these things and it's and it's addressing it in a respectful, caring way and understanding that, you know, when you roll your eyes, this is what is being the message that's being conveyed. Is that the message you want to have conveyed? Right. So it's having it's identifying where there might be like a little blip, <laughs> a little blip of of something and then addressing it in a really respectful way. 
I'm not that funny, but if you could do it in a humorous kind of way and then, you know, in, yeah, in an effective yeah. way, I think what happens is we, it's too difficult. It's emotionally draining. It's energy draining to address some of these small little things that don't seem big, but those small little things grow into these huge things. So just small little tiny things and, and help them to be better team members. It's so fascinating that you use the example of eye rolling because like you were just saying, it's so small, but can be, can lead to something so much bigger. There's a, a researcher expert uh, in relationships. His name's escaping me right now, but his, the major identifier of a relationship that's uh, on the brink of breaking down is eye rolling between couples specifically, mm-hmm. but as an indicator of contempt or etc. But it's one of the few that he would observe and could link to future breakdowns of those relationships if not addressed. It's everything from even eye contact, right? Like what I found is, and it's not that these people even know, first of all, they don't even know they're eye rolling some mm-hmm, of the times. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah, even know yeah, it. Just They've just done it. Yeah. So just little things like that, yeah. little tiny things that, that you can just boom right at the beginning, right? And, and, and that people care, like that you care for each other on the team, that you listen to each other, that you, you're present with each other here at the team. This is what we want. And so right at the beginning, being proactive, planning it, being deliberate, being intentional, and, and trying to redirect and allow people to have the, teach them how to have conversations when they want to have those conversations. As a previous university athlete that was like petrified to start with the, universe, with the varsity team, is there, coming from a coach's perspective, if there's somebody listening are so excited by the sport and about the idea of being on the team and about contrib- or contributing to this team and being a part of it for the next four years or whatever they have left within their degree, but they're so scared to try out for all the reasons that, you know, could make sense, not getting on the team, making a fool of themselves, all the things that run through your head. What would you tell that, that student? Come out. <laughs> I mean, if... For sure, you know, there, but there are no guarantees in life. You, if, I mean, that's one of the things. There are no guarantees in life. If you love it and you're passionate and you want to give it a try, give it a try. You know, f- contact the coach. Get in touch with them ahead of time. Make sure that they, they know who you are. Because there may be, and every team is different. And every team pretty much has the same ingredients, but the recipe changes year to year, depending on who's returning, who's not, all those sorts of things. And so you never know what what ingredient they're looking for on 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 a team. So you can't make the assumption that you know it, and mm. and you you just you just don't know. And and roles, so many roles on the team. And and you know if if you sort of do uh, take a look and say like sometimes sometimes they're looking for things that you don't know, and so you're making an assumption of what the coach is looking for. The other thing that can happen is opportunities arise. Maybe. Your skill level isn't at the level yet for here. And maybe, but maybe there's an opportunity to get involved in a coaching capacity and in a managerial capacity and a, in a, you just don't know what opportunities are there. So when something is, when you're afraid of something, totally get, I quit all the sports when I started as a young kid because I, you know, <laughs> was scared. So I've lived it. But if you can, if you can go into, if you can just step into that fear, do it. And do the best you can of it and see what opportunities arise. And so if you're not selected and if, if you talk to the coach and say, are there any other opportunities, see what's possible. 
And if not, then maybe it's an opportunity for you to to look at it in a different way, right? There's there's intramural activities, there's uh, officiating, there's coaching. If you love and pass, have a passion for the sport, there might be another way that, that you can find it. Maybe the coach and the program can help facilitate mm. that. Mm-hmm. Like we have many... You know, one of the things when you come in, sometimes you've played the sport all your life. So we have people who play volleyball all their life. They're defined by it. It's our identity. It's all these things. And then as they go through our program, they begin to realize, you know, I love the sport, but I'm not sure I want to spend 40 hours a week doing it. <laughs> right? So, yeah, which is totally fair and fine. But I love it. Okay, so let's see if there's an alternate route that you can use your passion in sports. So help them get their certification. Help them find ways that be that support network for them when they go into that mm-hmm. space. So... Like, take the risk. To the risk taker goes the reward is one of the things that I always say. And so take the risk. Mm. Take the risk and and do it. What is the... Again, so you don't make the sport team. (laughs) You know, you move on, you go, you do something else. So you find something else. Like, take the risk. Do do everything because you don't know. And that's the thing about... You don't know what you don't know. So even at university, if there's a club or a thing that you're interested in, but you're like, ah, I don't know, or I've never heard of it. And then you go into it and you're like, whoa, I like that. You know, I didn't have a clue what linguistics was. And I took this course and I'm like, whoa, that was really interesting. So, you know, take the risk. Take the risk if, if you're, you're passionate about it. Because you have to have a passion for it, for sure. And take the risk of doing it. Mm. And something, something really worth holding on to is, like you said too, it might not turn into... Of our uh, somebody going in and try out becoming a varsity athlete, but it might turn into so many things you could have never predicted. And as a result, of being just be having FaceTime with the leaders in that sport in that field. So yeah, and you said too, shoot an email to a, a coach or go visit them. That's something I would assume that you could probably speak for across the coaches within the university. That that's very welcomed. From interested athletes. Very much so. Yeah. We're a little slow in responding sometimes, so you might have to do two <laughs> or three. But, and, you know, and I, I, I still remember we had one uh, student athlete who came from BC, and she wanted to study engineering, and she wanted to be in this position. And I said, well, we, we're full. We don't have that position. You know, thanks for your interest. And she wrote back, is it just reminding you that I'm here and I'm interested? And I'm like, that's great, but we don't need it. And then in January, she said, just letting you know, I got accepted and I'm really interested. And I'm like, that's great. Not, we don't need that role. And then in March, she said, well, I'm visiting U of T and co- so could I meet you? And I said, oh, okay, well, you're here. Okay, so I met you. <laughs> One of the most incredible human beings that I've ever met. And I said, I don't have a space for you, but our team needs you. And so I'm going to figure out what that role is. And that was through, because she had a passion, one to be here, one for the sport, and she was persistent enough. And and I was like, okay, that's a piece that we need. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for for volunteering your time to come and talk to us. Thank you for tuning in to the Athletic Perspective Podcast. Check us out online via our website, athleticperspective.com. Again, that's athleticperspective, all one word, or on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, whatever you prefer. We have some great guests, some great content lined up, so stay tuned for more.